Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. Good to have you, and welcome to everyone uh, who listens to the Cult of Hockey podcast. Bruce, I, you know, from talking on Twitters, on the Twitters to people, on Twitter to people, um, I think we've got a great group of fans who uh, engage with the Cult of Hockey. You know, they're they tend to be on the more optimistic side of the fan base, but I also see a lot of wisdom in, in our group of uh, fans are like, they can be critical of management, but they're in it because they're fans. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the, um, the thing about being a fan is be a fan. You know, yeah. the purpose of being a fan is to hope for your team and to celebrate that's one purpose. On a basic level, on a basic level, it's you know you can be critical of it, but really at bottom line, if you're not hopeful about your team, I don't know really know why, I don't really get why you're a fan at all, like why you're in following the team. I'm no psychologist. I think some people hold it as a proxy for other things in their life that they are not, you know, they can't criticize. Maybe a boss at work, or you know something like that, and they just rip into the team at every chance they get. But, uh, you know, that's, that's that's me talking out of my butt again. <laughs> anyway, I think we got uh, the, the, the wisest group of fans in in, uh, in hockey. Follow, the, follow this podcast and, and uh, engage with us on a regular basis. So well, I, got engaged I really with, like talking to them. I got engaged with the other day walking down the John Poole Boardwalk at Lois Hole Centennial Provincial Park. Uh-huh. And somebody pointed out a moose across the, at the edges of the fringes. And I spoke and the guy stopped and he looked at me and he went, you're that guy from the podcast, aren't you? So I guess now that we've gone video and we're viral or something. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say you saw a moose? A moose. Where? Uh, Lois Hole Provincial Park. Where's that? Uh, it's just west of St. Albert here, up by Big just Lake. West of St. Albert. Okay, gotcha. I was walking through the experimental farm at the U of A the other day, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a deer there right in the oh, middle yeah. of the sea. That was interesting. All right. Today, Bruce, we're going to talk about um, the Oilers going forward this summer. They've got a couple holes to fill at forward, as Ken Holland has admitted. Mm-hmm. And how are they going to do it? And I think this is almost, it's not a historic opportunity for the Oilers, but it is a historic opportunity uh, in the least if, if you consider NHL history from 20, 2013 to present since this last CBA was signed, the market has never been tighter. And if you have cap space, you have never been in a better position to be able to, to grab two or three players, either um, unrestricted free agents or restricted free agents. It's a, it's, there's all kinds of opportunity right now to cash in on the market in a way that hasn't been there in the past. And, even with the owner's limited amount of money, which is about three to four million dollars, Bruce, I think they have a real chance to to uh, bring in a good player or two here if they are creative and aggressive. That's the question, right? So let's first of all look at how creative and aggressive the owners have been to date. And I have to say, there's be, they've missed out on some good deals. So I'm just going to go over a few of them real quick. The ones they've missed out on, the, which I wish they could have gone in on. And this, these are essentially moves where you're picking up good young forwards for uh, very little, or you're dumping cap space in a really smart way. 
So, uh, for instance, on July 1st, uh, Buffalo acquired Jimmy Vesey from the Rangers. All they had to do was give up a third-round pick. The Oilers could have done that deal if, if they had been on the ball or had the good luck, to, you know, just been in the right moment with the Rangers. Um, the Chicago Blackhawks acquired Andrew Shaw, who is a, a veteran winger. He's 27. Um, he, in the last um, two years, Bruce, he ranks 89th out of 450 NHL forwards in terms of even strength point scoring does andrew shaw now he's got a per little 60, bit of in right? per 60 mm-hmm. 89th out of 454 first line that's a you know cost for the first to second line if you know yeah and montreal three first line forwards in theory yeah montreal gave him up for a second round pick a seventh round pick and a third round pick um, back to chicago right back to chicago. yeah um so carolina got eric holla and all they give it gave up was a kind of a nothing minor league mm-hmm. player, um, if we're completely honest, in a fifth-round pick. Um, Colorado got Andre Burakovsky. All they gave up was a second and a third-round pick. Burakovsky's a really fast, um, skilled young forward from the Washington Capitals. Last two years, even strength, he ranks 180th out of 450 NHL forwards for scoring, so kind of a second-line player. His name's been kicking around for a while, Burkowski, too. Yeah. Like since before the trade deadline. There's also some good cap dumps. Like, so if the owners have been able to, and this is where Shirelli screwed them as much as anything with these no trade and no movement clauses, but a couple teams moved out players. um, Colorado moved out Carl Soderberg, 4.7 million a year Mm -hmm. to um, Arizona. And Mm -hmm. um, San Jose moved out Justin Braun to Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. 3.8 million a year. Now, Chris Russell, for the owners to do something similar, that Russell would have had to waive his no movement, no trade clause. Mm-hmm. And um, there was also one trade that I liked. Chicago traded um, uh, for Ali Mata, and they gave up Dominic Cahoon, who's a good young forward. Pittsburgh uh, acquired Cahoon. So if the owners maybe on a similar trade would have traded Matt Benning for Cahoon, that's a trade I would have liked to have seen where they traded a. Oilers traded a defenseman for a forward, and that was one that that caught my eyes. Being, yeah. so I don't, what do you like? I just don't know. I, like I know these trades don't always fall into your lap. The last time it, it happened with the Oilers, they got Cam Talbot for a couple picks. That was mm-hmm. the last really super obvious one, um, where something kind of well, I guess Maroon um, fell into their lap in a similar way. Yeah, um, these things can happen to teams. And they happened to Shirelli a couple, three, maybe two, three, four times early on. Early on. You know, Chris Chris Russell kind of fell into their lap as a UFA right at the end of the year. You know, that first one-year deal was a great deal for the Oilers. Um, the Zach Cassian thing kind of fell into their lap. But after that, Shirelli just ran out of good luck, and, and, and we've yet to see it from Holland. What do you make of this? these kind of deals? And do you think Holland can get one here? Yeah, I mean, so far there's been no interaction with other teams at all. Eh? They kept all their draft choices. Yeah. And they went to, you know, they signed guys off the open market. Uh, or, you know, they they bought out their own guy and he got picked up by another team. But there's been no transactions involving Edmonton and anyone else. And at some point that's probably going to have to need to change. Uh, whether it's a, uh, uh, you know, whatever level it's at. I mean, uh, that Justin Braun cash dump to uh, Philly, 
that sure did fit the bill for uh, a possible uh, Chris Russell move. And, and Braun had value. You know, they got a second and third round pick for him. He had one year left on his deal, not two, but obviously Philly wanted him. And, you know, they're not, they're fairly comparable players. Like Braun would have a higher reputation simply from playing on a better team, um, playing with a better partner. And uh, yeah, I'm not convinced he's a better player, though. Yeah. Than Chris Russell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're kind of they're at least in the same bin of yeah. uh, players, but uh, there's only so many teams looking for a veteran defenseman. You know, one team that is looking for a veteran defenseman uh, now is Winnipeg Jets, that have lost three defensemen. Uh, they lost um, all of uh, Jacob Truba, Tyler Myers, and Ben Chirot, and uh, a Western Canadian boy like uh, Cowboy Chris Russell of Carolina, Alberta, I would guess that if he had a no-trade list, he'd be one of the few that didn't have Winnipeg on it. Uh, and, you know, Winnipeg's got um, a forward, uh, Matthew Perot. He's got two years left on his deal, at, I think 4.1 or 4.15 million, almost the same. And that's a case where you could go defense for forward and both teams would, would fill a need. So that's, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about, Bruce. Yeah. That's an excellent example. Um, and uh, yeah, good for spotting that. Like, so so this is what I think the Oilers need to do. I mean, I'm sure they've been doing this. Like, this is what teams have got to do all day long. Is um, what's there? What is that? It's my my wife's making bread here, um, and our bread maker. Um, so that's exactly what they they, they got to be scouring the lineups of other teams right now and just looking like who's available who can we make that kind of trade for and, and what do they need I mean, what do they need about trades i mean a lot of the trade rumors that we read don't don't often take fully into account what the other team has and needs and you know has for cap space and so on but uh the managers will be in touch with each other to the degree that they know what the other teams uh you know what their weaknesses are what you know what they can afford and winnipeg can't afford to deal uh cap space because they need to sign uh patrick line and kyle connor so in fact they may not even be wanting to they might be looking to dump matthew perot for less than a returning contract but at the same time they do need defensemen so so you'd have to look at all the teams like who needs defense you know the, the obvious thing would be who's lost the defenseman recently right. is a big one yeah, well winnipeg's lost three yeah i can't think of anyone else i guess Columbia, uh, Colorado lost Tyson Berry. They got a lot of cap space, but they also have a lot of young defensemen. So, yep. but you could see them maybe wanting a veteran defenseman and they've got the yep. cap space. So this is where Holland has just, he's got to figure out a way to make this happen because I think they really do need to do something more, Bruce. Like I, I don't think it's kind of optional. I think they need to bring in at least one more good forward um, who can play in their top nine. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the goal. And, and, um, for, for Holland to get a passing grade this summer. It's not going to be easy, but, you know, they, they, they do have that bit of a cap space, and they there are a few players they can now, at least now they have the list of, of players. I don't know when they get the list from Secker and Russell. Of, or, well, Secker is gone, but if, from July first. So, yeah, so they finally have that list of where Russell can go, and they can work with him on that, or they don't have to work with him on that, but they can they can use that list now and, and make a move based on that. But, um all right, so the other thing they can do, Bruce, is they can sign a UFA. Let's just go down the list real quick. I'm gonna, I'll just tell you who's still available on the UFA market. 
so there is there's there's I think there's about six kind of players who qualify as players who could either play on your top uh, two forward lines or your uh, top four D. So the forwards are Marcus Johansson, Joe Thornton, Ryan Zingle, Michael Ferlin, and Justin Williams. And um, the defenseman is Jake Gardner. So there's six really, I think, attractive uh, free agents out there. Plus there's a whole host of guys who are pretty good. So there's Ben Hutton. Oh, Ben Sherratt is gone now. Uh, Patrick Maroon, Patrick Marlowe, Brian Boyle, Derek Broussard, who's the center. Jason Pominville, Ben Lovejoy, Adam McQuaid, Dan Girardi, and Michael Delzato. The owners would not be, of course, interested in any of those defensemen. But um, and, and I don't know if they would be interested in, like, in terms of those lesser free agents, anyone but Broussard, Pat, maybe. Patrick Marlowe, you know? Yeah, maybe one, Patrick. One-year one deal at, you know, come home to the prairies to finish out your career and... Uh... Uh, you know, not not low ball, but I'm you know I'm thinking he's not going to be a six million dollar man anymore. I mean, two million might sound pretty good to a guy like that. Well, if, if he really wants up, to play, he's yeah. put up forty points kind of consistently for uh, a number of years. He, you know, he's not worth. I mean, this is why uh, Toronto had to uh, uh, had to trade him with the first round pick and why he got bought out. Uh, but now that he's been bought out, you know, he's Corey Perry, right? Or He's Andre so, Sekera. You can get him out of maybe a third of what he was making before. So you might think that's not that. That's you might be thinking that's not that big a list of players. But I think it's really important to compare it to to usually what's available at this time on July second. Uh, so so last year, Bruce, um, after July first, after the July first splurge, mm-hmm. there was only there was um, uh, five of these kind of top players left. So this year there's six six after July first. But the difference is they were almost all signed July 2nd and July 3rd. So Joe right. Thornton, James Neal, Calvin DeHaan, and Robin Leonard were all there for the taking after July 1st last year. But they all got signed July 2nd and July 3rd. The only one who was still out there who was arguably kind of a top player was Patrick Maroon. And he lasted until July 10th. So so this year there's six of these guys. Last year there was one. And that's and a, he played that's music. Difference that he took a huge discount one year at 1.75 million. I was just going to say he played musical chairs and he was the guy that didn't get the chair and <laughs> he wound up getting the short end of the stick in terms of uh, the contract versus you know people were saying the weather should extend him three years, 3.5 or 4 million. And then when he went to Jersey, then went, the thought was he'd get three by three years, something like that. And he got one times 1.75. And it turned out to be a good contract for him just because of how everything went there in his hometown, St. Louis. But now that he's done everything possible that you could do in St. Louis, uh, he might be looking to cash in with a bigger contract and uh, be looking at other teams besides uh, the Blues. Well, look at Joe Thornton. I don't know if he would fit on the Oilers but um, or if he'd be willing to come here. But San Jose, they've got $6.3 million in cap space, but they've got Joe Thornton and Kevin LeBanc to sign. Now, Kevin LeBanc... He's he's got to be, I think, a four million dollar a year winger. Um, had a big year. Had a, fifty-six points. Let's just say, you know, that's pretty damn good. Fifty-six points in today's NHL. Um, that gets you five million, I think, or six million. Um, you, you know, unless he's willing to take a hometown discount. And what what is oh, Joe Thornton? He's, he's restricted. For? He's restricted. Well, Joe Thornton, his, I think last year he went from eight to five, and he might 
take a further haircut, especially now that San Jose has committed so much to younger players. He just wants a shot at the cup, and he just wants to keep going, I think. And I'm not, not sure money is an object, but I don't think moving is in his future. I think San Jose is it. Yeah. So, but so I, I, I haven't really thought about Thornton. The, the main, the main people seem to be Marcus Johansson, mm-hmm. um, who's, who's had some injury issues and uh, Furland, who's had some injury issues and Zingle. I think Bob Stoffer has reported the Oilers aren't that interested in, in Ryan Zingle, but there's these, you know, what about Marcus Johansson? What about uh, Brassard? And what about Furland? These players are going to sign Bruce for, I think if, on, on short-term deals at this point. Um, that are going to be fairly affordable for teams. So it's not out of the question that the Oilers could, could get one of those guys. And so fingers crossed on that. So here's the thing. If plan A doesn't work and plan B, which are trades and signings, I, what do you think about plan RFA, Bruce, where the Oilers go after a player uh, using, you know, two or $3 million in an RFA offer sheet. And so they don't target the top end guys, of course, the owners don't have the money or the cap space to target a Mitch Marner or Rantanen a Matt Kachuk. But there are some teams that are vulnerable to offer sheets in, the, in a similar way that um, the Anaheim Ducks were back in 2007 when they were up against the cap. They had Dustin Penner to sign and they didn't have any money for him. There's a number of teams that are that are in that precarious situation. And I think the New York Rangers, Bruce, they have $8 million of cap space. Here's who they have to sign with $8 million. Jacob Truba, uh, Capo Caco, Capo Caco, Pavel Bushnevich, who scored 21 goals last year, Brendan Lemieux, who scored 12 goals and is a feisty player, and Tony D'Angelo at 30 points. There's no way. There's no way you can sign all five of those guys for $8 million. Like, Truba is going to take seven. So, at least... Um, so what would you think about signing, uh, Brendan Lemieux or Bushnevich, Bushnevich, there's arbitration rights that he can invoke, but, um, what do you think about signing Brendan Lemieux, a player like that to a, like a $2 million a year offer sheet, give up a third round draft pick in compensation? Yeah. Uh, Pepe Jr. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw Lemieux. I saw the Rangers play here in, uh, March, uh, when the orders beat him 3-2 in overtime off of Leon Dreisaitl snipe. And Brendan Lemieux was, I think, second star of that game, and he had the Gordie Howe hat-trick with the goal assist in the fight. So pretty hard not to see a player like that. And the fight, it was the one where, I, if I recall, that was the one where Matt Benning had to leave the game. Uh, but maybe the fight was after. I can't remember the exact details. Benning got hurt on a hit. And then the fight developed, I think, is what happened. Anyway, uh, uh, he caught my eye, uh, not just with his feistiness, but he can play. You know, I thought uh, I look, he, he obviously looked really good that game. He yeah. Caught well, that's the thing about one game, uh, one game exposures, he can really get fooled. Uh, but, you know, the same guy, uh, he, uh, he was in the press box uh, for Winnipeg, right? Yeah, and he got traded to Rangers. He was in the press box from Winnipeg, and he came out of the press box against the Oilers right after Christmas, I think New Year's Eve, scored the game winner that time against the Oilers. 
that was the string where the Oilers lost, I think, two games in a row where the guy who scored the winner against them hadn't even played the previous game. <laughs> a healthy scratch came down and scored the so game. So what, what's that kind of bias yeah. called where you, someone's yeah. made a big impression, impression bias? What's it yeah, called? Yeah, 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 it There's is. There's word for that. Yes. But here's the thing, Bruce. Yes. He, he, in, in terms of even, again, two, over two years, and this would mainly be based on a small sample size of this, this year, but over two years, 450 NHL forwards, uh, Brendan Lemieux ranks 188th for even strength scoring. Bushnevich ranks 179th. And there's a player called Zach Aston Reese with Pittsburgh oh, yeah. who rates, mm-hmm. rates 116th out of 450 forwards. Now, Pittsburgh has two players to sign. They got a million six. But they've got a young defenseman, Marcus Peterson, who uh, 25 points in uh, 20, 25 points last year, and Zach Aston Reese, who had that, who has this pretty solid little spurt of even strength scoring. So these are the kind of players that I'm talking about that the that I think the Oilers maybe Danton Heinen mm-hmm. from Boston. Um, these are the kind of players who I think could slot in maybe as high as on the Oilers' second line, and right. um, that I think they should really be seriously looking at targeting because you're giving, if you just compensation, if you, if you make an offer of, let me just find it here. If you make an offer of as much as 2.1 million a year, uh, it's, it's just a third round draft pick as compensation. So that's right. And, but the, the Rangers, they're mm-hmm. in a tough spot. Now you might want to wait a while, make sure they're even in a tougher spot. <laughs> Let them sign Bushnevich maybe. And then, mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, have running offer sheets on a couple of these guys. Let them sign D'Angelo. Maybe they're not gonna. Now, of course, the, the Ranger, a Rangers fan will tell you, "Well, we're going to move Kevin Shattenkirk. Or we're going to move Chris Kreider. Well, good luck moving Kevin Shattenkirk. That's possible." Oh, my uh, my friend uh, Speed's uh, hockey symposium on Twitter. Yeah, has long uh, touted the idea of the double offer sheet. Yes, where you make two offers to to two different players on the same team in two different compensation ranges so that you have the draft picks to match both. And then you just put the heat on the other team. You know, do they match both? Do they match one and you get the other guy? And it's an interesting concept. I know the closest it ever came to actually happening uh, was what uh, San Jose did to Chicago in 2010 when they got when they offersheeted Nick Somerson from Chicago. Chicago matched and then... Uh, uh, they went out and signed um, uh, Anti Niemi because Chicago could no longer afford him. So it kind of kind of worked, but it wasn't quite a double offer sheet scenario. But uh, I think you're bang on, and I think the boat is totally missed in this offer sheet thing. In that it's such a total double whammy to go after the top guys. Like first of all, you have to overpay them salary wise, and then you have to pay through the nose in compensation as well. So you wind up with a big cap hit on your on your salary for, on your thing. Plus, you've given up like several future draft choices. I mean, if somebody is to offer sheet Mitch Marner, not only do they have to pay him full value plus, but they're also going to be out probably four first round draft choices, or at least two firsts, a second, and a third. You know, depending on how they structure the deal. And that's like like I say, it's a double whammy. You really have to think long and hard before you want to make that much of a of a um, investment in uh, in a single player, cough Thomas Bannock, cough. <laughs> wow! Yeah, Did the Oilers ever dodge. dodge a bullet there? 
Now the so the double offer sheet could work with the Rangers if Bushnevich doesn't adopt yes. to arbitration. I think he has arbitration rights. So I think either he or the team not exactly sure. What's the deadline on that on that today, anyway? Today. today. July yeah. 5th. Yeah. Probably probably as we speak, it's already been done. Uh, mm -hmm. but they, you could do Lemieux at, at two point one and Bushnevich at two point five mm -hmm. or three and do the double offer sheet for those mm -hmm. two players and uh and be happy with either one of them, I believe. Um, so anyway, it'll be interesting to see it. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I think it's, it's, we're going to see more hardship in signing RFAs than we've ever seen before. And this, this RFA offer sheet is going to be available, um, right in, right through the summer into September. So it's not going to go away as something. So the, so I don't, I, I think the key for the owners is keep your powder dry. Like don't, don't waste your money on, on some old vet <laughs> would be my advice. I'm tired of saying. Oh, don't that. sign Patrick Marlowe is what you're saying. Well, yeah, Bruce, don't yeah, sign. Patrick, don't sign, and maybe stay away from Broussard and Brian Boyle. Well, I, 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 you know, yeah. and, and Broussard's just, a guy I would personally wouldn't touch. He had a, he had a terrible year for three different teams last year, and and he wore out his welcome in three different cities. Just just had a brutal time. You know, if the Rangers go to arbitration with Bushnevich immediately or if he adopts it immediately offers heat lemieux well and then you know i guess bushnevich if, if he gets if he goes through that process uh, the, the rangers will likely have to just set him free as a ufa of course then he's on the open market for everybody but um mm -hmm. anyway i just think there's there's options out there and and you know we're we only think about this part of the time because we're obsessed fans they should be thinking about this, of course, and I'm sure they are thinking about this all the time. But they should really be seriously thinking about this RFA thinking. And what is the best strategy here to pry loose a player like Aston Reese or Lemieux uh, for a third-round draft pick from these teams that are really up against it? And um, I'd love to see that happen. So we'll see. All righty. Do you have any other thoughts, Bruce? Are we done? Uh well, on the unrestricted uh, free agent market, um, one name that uh, captured my interest, and we, we had a real good discussion about this guy on Low Tide's comment section yesterday, so credit to some of the commenters there. Riley Shane, uh, left-shooting center, uh, former first-round draft choice, 27 years old, six foot three, 214 pounds. And the last, after he came up through Ken Holland's system in Detroit, and he played with the Wings for a number of years. And he had one disastrous year where he didn't score until the 82nd game of the season when he tallied two goals. So he, he avoided the reader, but only by, by a tiny margin. Then Detroit traded him to Pittsburgh. He had a good year there. And uh, this year, Pittsburgh moved him on to Florida. And he's played 447 career games with 149 points. So a point every three games, exactly. And, and uh, as a basically a third liner. And he's uh, he penalty killer, like over two minutes a game penalty killing for every year but one. And he's also uh, had some very interesting past history with Thomas Yerko. Three years they took together on the Red Wings. They played nine hours together, like over 500 minutes. So that's a pretty significant sample size. And they crushed it. They were like 57% on the... Shots ratio, 57% on the goals ratio. They were outscoring the other teams as, as a duo. And 
Just saying, like if uh, Holland's gonna take it, dig into. Yeah, I know that was 2013 to 16, and they're probably different players today. But they. Well, they're not old though. Sheen's not. They're not 28. Was he's 27? 27. And Yurko's uh, around the same age. Uh, He was in the World Juniors here in uh, 2012. So, and Yurko, you know, that's a real under the radar signing that I find is a very interesting player. He had a, he had an excellent AHL playoffs. Won the Calder Cup. It was the second best scorer on his team down there. And you know they got him on a I think a one one way contract is what enticed him to sign with Edmonton. But uh, oh, I, I like he's, a, he's a player we don't write off just yet. You know, to say well he was a minor leaguer last year, therefore he's a minor leaguer forever. He's Ty Ratty, but he's Ty Ratty with 200 games of NHL experience already. Bruce, I really like the work that they did with the bottom line stuff because they didn't bring in old guys. They brought in guys who are desperate in mm-hmm. mid-career. Like yep. they're at the absolute peak of their hockey playing lives. Yurko, Nygaard, Haas. Um, there's one more I'm forgetting right now. They've, they've brought in these guys that are absolute, they're the right age and the right level of desperation, the right level of hunger, everything to make their mark as NHL players and good for the Oilers in doing that. I mean, Grandland, Grandland, that's the mm-hmm. other guy. And um, uh, that's who you want to get. You don't want to sign Kyle Brodziak, the, the old guy. And I, and I wasn't even, I was not a Latesti fan that. ever, as some people may recall, <laughs> but um, I, yeah. <laughs> so Riley Sheehan, maybe like, yeah. you know, uh, that, I mean, that, that, that zero goal year may kind of stick out. Stick in Ken Holland's memory fairly well, but um, you never know. Like, you but it's you know, a third line player, and he's um, uh, you know, he's had seasons of 36, 25, 32, last year 19 points. But you know, I mean, you look at the Oilers bottom of the roster, you had Brodziak with nine points, you have Colby Cave with three points, you know, you got uh, a bunch of guys that barely scored at all, so uh. When you think, you know, 20 points, well, that's not much. Well, it isn't, but it's more than 10, right? So, anyway, they've got uh, uh, a strong uh, emphasis so far in the Holland era on European players. And all those guys that you just named are all Euros, right? The two that came over, plus Yurko, plus Granlund. All of them can skate fast. He drafted five five out of six of the guys that he drafted are Euros. Uh, players and so and he's got a long history that with Detroit obviously so that's he he's got contacts and and you know it's not well let's go to the BCHL and see what we can get from there I mean he's a little bit more far-reaching and it's not necessarily promises perfect results but uh, uh, it's it's definitely a change of uh, of direction for them to know this already well, let's leave it there and fingers crossed. I think it's going to, I think that you want to play the long game. Mm-hmm. The summer, you don't want to move fast at this point. You want to let the desperation sink in for both the teams up against the cap. I think the time to move fast was in June and the owners couldn't do that because of the no trade clauses of Russell and Sekera, which limited their movement and prevented them from being moved. And <laughs> so it's the long game now. And, uh, you know, I think Ken Holland's, summer it's every gm's going to have a little bit different summer than they've had in the past they, they could take 
that take the time off in the past, but I don't see them taking time off because they're going to, there's key, absolutely key crucial moves to be made. There's about 15 players, I think, or, uh, well, including the RFAs, there's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of difference makers still out there on the market and teams should be looking at all of them in a very serious way. And that, that yeah. includes Ken Holland's Oilers. Yeah, well, one thing that's massively changed in the last few years, and the Oilers were on the vanguard of this to some extent, and they received a ton of criticism for it, is that the value of RFAs has gone up and the value of UFAs is gradually starting to diminish. As the realization is sinking in that paying a guy for his 23 to 30-year-old years is probably a better long-term bet than paying a guy for his 28 to 35-year-old years. And it's uh, the offer sheet thing is is just starting to get some wind in its sails again. After five years without a single offer sheet, we've had one. There's rumors of others, and I still think this sort of middle tier or even lower tier offer sheet with the compensation is lesser is uh, a market that is waiting to be tapped. And I don't know if it's a sort of a GM's. Uh, uh, honor among thieves or, or what it is that, that, that really prevents that uh, from happening. I do know years ago there was a retaliatory situation where uh, I think Philly signed Ryan Kessler to an offer sheet and the next year Vancouver signed some guy out of Philly to an offer sheet knowing they would match but that they would have to pay and it was just simply to make them pay that they uh, got even with them. So and then of course we had the famous barn fight scenario. I mean there, there's so part of it is what goes on in the club of general managers. What's what's the code of general managership? But uh, that uh, that middle tier that seems like to me to be a bit of a soft market where you could really uh, you could really do well. I mean, if you go and get uh, you know a decent player for a second round pick at a you know a fair wage just because some team's up against the cap, then why not do it? I think it's madness not to use the RFA tool that's uh, mm-hmm. at your disposal. And I and I and it's a sign of <laughs> incompetence at this point, if you if you do not. And um, listen, the Oilers they need to do something. So let's see what happens. All right, let's leave it there, Bruce. Thanks for talking today. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>